No justice, no peace. I've been excited about this for a little while, about t- talking about the concept of God's law and the proper application. For the uh, you know, y'all know what I'm referencing whenever I say that, right? No justice, no peace. What are we talking about here? We're talking about the Black Lives Matter riots, you know, that were going on and like half of Minneapolis, downtown Minneapolis was burned. Minneapolis, Minneapolis, sorry, I haven't had enough coffee yet today. Um, all kinds of issues like that. And one of the chance slogans that they had as they did those things was no justice, no peace. Now, obviously, burning down half of a downtown city block means that you don't necessarily know the definition of the word justice or the definition of the word peace, because that doesn't have anything to do with either of those categories. But the concept of that phrase is right. They're onto something. And we talked about this this past Sunday. There is a sense in which if you don't have any type of real justice, you don't have peace. Um, now, when we say peace, we mean shalom, which pop quiz, what is shalom? Do y'all remember from last week, Jesse? Ultimate human, Ultimate human flourishing. That's what shalom. So when you see peace in the Bible, it doesn't. it's not ham shamalaka peace, right? It's not inner, uh, inner quiet um, it's not that Easternism type of meditations. Easternism meditation, the idea is that you empty your mind. You know, it's like that Jedi Knight kind of piece. You know what I'm talking about? Uh, stay your feelings, you know, like all that kind of stuff. That's not the peace we're going after. We're talking about biblical peace, which means shalom, ultimate human flourishing. And the Bible says in Leviticus chapter 26 that if you want peace, the way that you access it is through justice. And whenever we say justice, well, we'll get to that later, but let me read Leviticus chapter 26, starting in verse 3 through 6. It says, if you walk in my statutes and observe my commandments and do them, then I will give you your rains in their season, and the land shall yield its increase, and the trees of the field shall yield their fruit. Your threshing shall last to the time of the grape harvest, and the grape harvest shall last the time for sowing, and you shall eat your bread to the full and dwell in your land securely. So you see, blessing, 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 blessing. On what premise? What's the requirement for all the blessings of God? We just read it. Did you see it? What are the requir- what's the requirements for the blessings of God? All right, I'm going to go back to verse three. Here we go. If you walk in my what? Statutes. If you walk in my commandments, if you walk in obedience to me and observe my commandments and do them, then I will give you rains for your season, big harvest, blessings. You'll pour out all these things. And then in verse six, he defines it perfectly. He says, I will give shalom to the land. I will give peace. I will give, he's saying all of these things lead to what? Human flourishing, ultimate human flourishing. That's what peace actually is. Peace is the fulfillment of what mandate? Man, y'all sleepy. What's y'all, y'all, y'all sleepy right now? Leviticus 26, verses three through six. Uh, shalom, peace, ultimate human flourishing is the fulfillment of what mandate by God? Uh, creation. It happened at creation. But it's the, starts with a D. It's, y'all are, see, here's the problem. is I'm asking questions and some of y'all are going, and you're saying it way in the back. And I'm like, I don't know. I am so deaf. Like, I can't hear my children when they're seven feet away from me. You're like, you're, 
dominion is not going to reach me. Come on, it's okay. Y'all wake up. Look, it's the dominion mandate. There you go. Now Now we got it. Yes, that's the fulfillment of the dominion mandate. Ultimate human flourishing, blessing on the land. We fulfill the dominion mandate. In other words, we fulfill peace in the world by obeying God. That's it. That's it. That's how peace in the world is attained. That's how we get to ultimate human flourishing is God provides it by us obeying him, including obedience to his commands to go be fruitful and multiply. So when Matthew 18 says, teach all nations, right? Go forth and teach all nations, teach them to obey, baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Like when the Matthew 18, the Great Commission says that, I'm sorry, Matthew 28, excuse me. When Matthew 28, the Great Commission says all of that, what it's really saying is go and and bring peace. Go and bring shalom to the world. Go and, and bring ultimate human flourishing. Teach them to obey. Bring peace to the world and bring justice to the world. You see, with, without justice, it is true that there is no peace. So to get peace, dominion, ultimate human flourishing, to fulfill the callings that God has given us, we need justice. And that means... Are you ready? This is a big one. And for some of you, this is going to cause you some problems. But I just need you to hear me when I say this. That means just preach the gospel is not enough. Did y'all hear what I said? This is very important for us to get down deep into our bones here. If we're going to fulfill the dominion mandate, which is bring peace to the world by fulfilling the great commission, which is teaching all to obey the all that God has given us to obey, then that means the phrase, and this is what people toss around whenever you start saying, hey, we should obey God's laws in all of life. They start saying, I think you should just preach the gospel. That's not enough. Do you guys see what I'm talking about here? It's, that's, that's shallow. That's empty. And that's how you end up with massive churches who have thousands of people in the room who know nothing. And they're unable to pass their faith on to their children or anyone else. Those are those churches that have created intake systems so that they can continue to grow in numbers, but they lack in discipleship, which we have tons of those down here. Tons of those. Tons of people in a room who have prayed a prayer at some point or another, but they've never really been discipled. And so they haven't been taught to obey. So they don't, they don't have peace. They don't have justice. And they're unable to carry their faith onto future generations or anybody else. Are y'all tracking with me here? It is not just the job of the church as an institution or the pastor as an employee or the missionary as an employee to be the ones who preach and proclaim the gospel and all of God's truth to all people. It's everybody. Yes? Okay, we got that. Do y'all have questions on that so far? So the next time that you're having a conversation with someone and they say, I really think all you need to do is just preach the gospel. You can tell them that's not true. That's not enough. Because Jesus said to teach what? All that I have commanded you. All of it. And teach the nations, all the world to obey. That's big deal stuff. But that's what the Bible says. But in order to do that, we have to ask the question, obey what? What is justice? We have to define it properly. And if you do that, if you, if you try to figure out the definition of justice, let's just say that we crowdsource, right? We just, we, we crowdsource people to get the definition of justice. What's going to happen? Each person that I ask is going to, is going to do what? They're going to have a slightly different definition. 
they're going to have a slightly different, well, I think justice is, a secularist says, well, I think justice is any time that you do something that makes the most people happy. That's their typical definition of morality, their definition of justice, right? But really, it boils all the way down. You can get justice from one of two places, okay? Either it's from yourself or it's from God. You can get the definition of justice from one or two places. Either it's from yourself or it's from God. Because let's think about this for a second. Let's say you are crowdsourcing a thousand people to get their definition of justice, right? If you're crowdsourcing a thousand people to get their definition of justice, who's ultimately going to decide what you receive from them and what you put away from them? You are, right? See, that's what I'm saying. Your definition of justice is wholly either going to be based on you or based on God's justice. And what is the definition of repentance? The definition of repentance is us saying, oh, sorry, God, I decided I knew what justice was more than you did. My bad. I repent. Please forgive me. You see, like that is our whole life is bringing our definition of justice in line with God's definition of justice. That's what we're chasing. That's what we're, that's what we're going for here. We're not saying that man can never make a right call. There are some completely secularized dudes that have a loosely based morality on Christianity. And so they get some stuff right. But then they start saying things like, yeah, but you know, we just do whatever makes the most people happy. And that's the general definition of morality. Well, then that doesn't play out on any social experiment. It, like it, it, look at the history of Nazi Germany. J- Hitler waited until he had enough backing with the people before he started rounding up the Jews, putting on cattle cars and having them killed. He waited until he swayed the morality of the people. You can't decide what's right and wrong based on democracy. And that's why, okay, next hot take, democracy in and of itself alone is actually evil. Okay, um, vox populi es vox deo is an expression that people use. That's an, a Latin expression. Vox, vox populi, the voice of the people, es vox deo is the voice of God. The voice of the people is the voice of God. That's, a, that's libertarianism boiled all the way down. Okay, whatever the masses want, therefore that must be what's true. Do you get it? Democracy in and of itself is always going to lead us to a lack of justice. Why? What's the fundamental flaw inside of basic democracy? Y'all are doing it again. (laughs) Yes, sin! Buddy, where do you carry it? See, it's me and my deaf bro right here. It's me and my deaf bro. She said it, you said it louder. Okay, you know what? Let's just keep that going. We'll, We'll put a chain, we'll make it happen. It's sin, yes. Where does sin live? In you. So we say, let's get a whole bunch of people together and then we're going to get it right. No, you're not. You're not going to get it right. And that in and of itself is why a representative republic exists. Okay? It's, it's not because the people might be losing their minds and you have an opportunity for a check and a balance in the representative head who can say, y'all want what? Ugh, we can't do that. That's crazy. Y'all, no, <laughs> wait. You see what I'm saying? They, there's an opportunity for restraint. 
There's an opportunity for, for a little bit of, wait, 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 what are we doing? And this is why whenever our government was established, it was established with hundreds of those little checks and balances. No, 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 hold on, you can't do that. Wait, 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 the Supreme Court's going to put the brakes on you over here. Hold on, Mr. President, you don't have the power to do that. Now, we've lost a lot of those because we're dumb and we've let them be lost and we haven't understood really what constitutional, if you talk to like a good constitutional attorney, who's the new speaker of the house? What's his name? Mike Johnson. Yeah. uh, Mike Johnson is actually, he's a constitutional law guy. And if you go listen to him talk, he's got this Rolodex in his brain of old constitutional principles and constitutional law, and he'll start referencing all this stuff. Now, I don't think he gets everything right full disclosure. So I'm not saying go run and follow Mike Johnson. He's going to save the world. But it's interesting to listen to a constitutional law guy talk because they've got these categories built out and built out properly in their brain. So what we're trying to do is say, where does justice come from? It can't come from us because we have sin inside of ourselves. Therefore, it must come from, has to come from God. And this is the role of the church. This is why the sphere of the church exists, right? and is called to prophetic ministry over everything else. To say, stop it, God says don't do that. Stop it, God says don't do that. The Bible says this, you have to repent, stop that. And says it to everyone. And that's why John the Baptist got his head chopped off. We have to appeal to the authority of God over all spheres of life. But here's the real rub. How do we know what laws are applicable today and how, right? That's always been the question. Like if I say don't kill somebody, everybody in the room is like, we agree. Well, where did we get that from? We get that from the Bible. There's a right time to kill somebody, right? And that's for what? If the the Bible says that they should be killed, if they should be executed, you see, like we have all these precipices, all these principles, excuse me. And, and the idea that we are running away from the death penalty in our modern day society is us deciding that we know better from God. And that's going to only cause problems for us down the road. So now instead of somebody receiving justice for what they've done, instead of a pastor coming to visit them while they're on death row, offering the, the, the opportunity to believe the gospel, which was given to Jeffrey Dahmer, and he did believe the gospel and repented. And when you go to heaven, you will see him assuming that his testimony is really true, which is a wild thing, but that's the, controversial, that's the controversial truth of the gospel, is that he can be forgiven, and he was, and then he was executed. Since we've given up on all of that, we've instead decided that the general population is going to pay to keep somebody alive for their entire life after they've done something horrible. We're going to lock a person in a box and call that justice instead of offering them a just death, a just execution with the opportunity to repent and believe. That's crazy. Why on earth would we do that? Because we don't believe what is true. We don't believe in eternity. We don't believe in Jesus's words. We don't believe in the opportunities of the gospel to change and truly repent and believe. We don't believe any of that stuff. We just believe that that person's bad. We should put him away. He's bad because he killed people. I can't be bad by killing people. So I'm just going to lock you in a box for the rest of your life. You see, you can't determine justice apart from the Bible. It doesn't work. But okay, let's get back to it. What parts of the Bible are applicable? Go back to Leviticus chapter 26. I want to point something out to you. You've probably never really noticed this before. But look at verse 3 in Leviticus 26. The very beginning. 
So we talked about blessings for obedience, right? And we talked about peace, shalom, ultimate human flourishing, happening as a result of our obedience. God blesses, provides shalom, provides peace. Okay, got it. But look at the first verse. If you walk in my statutes and observe my what? Do you notice those, those are two different words? Do you see that? If you walk in my statutes and observe my commandments. Now, most people, what they do when they read those two words, they just think they mean the same thing. If you do what I say. But actually, remember when we taught the Ten Commandments class, for those of you that were here then, and we talked about how the Ten Commandments were like an indexing system for the rest of the law of God, right? So what you have is the commandments, okay? And then underneath that, you have the statutes. In other words, you have, here's the general principles, okay? Here's the overarching law, and here's the applications of that law, which means that the statutes vary based on context. Y'all hear me? The statutes, the application of the law, what you do with it varies based on context. What's the easiest context that we could point to right now, difference between us and Israel? Well, let's say Israel in the wilderness, whenever the commandments were given. What's the, what's the biggest difference that you can point to right away? <laughs> Post-Jesus, pre-Jesus, okay, that's a good one. Um, but let's think just practical life. We don't live in the desert. (laughs) Amen. (laughs) We don't live in the wilderness. Okay. So some applications of those case laws, of those statutes are going to be different. We also don't live in tents. Okay. We also have established civic government. Okay. So different. We have, we have, uh, we stay in one place. We're not nomads bouncing from one place. You see what I'm saying? And so the way that the, the case laws, the statutes apply under the commandments varies as we go along. <clears throat> and this is, this is not new, okay? What I'm telling you right now was assumed Christian fact for thousands of years. Thousands of years. Um, the New Haven Colony in Connecticut, all right? Uh, this was one of the original colonies uh, mid-1600s, early 1600s was its founding, one of the original colonies. And in, in there, now when I say one of the original colonies, who were the first people to land? Y'all remember in America? Who were they? It was well, <laughs> the first non-natives. Sorry. Okay. Let me say it. the first Westerners, the first Christians to land in the country were who? It was the Puritans, right? It was the Puritans. And they were fleeing to have what? Religious freedom. That was the primary motivator, motivator for them. And they suffered a lot in that initial go. But in the New Haven colony in Connecticut, this is around the mid 1600s or so, their documents say this, their founding documents, okay? It was ordered that the judicial laws of God, as they were delivered by Moses, be a rule for all the courts in this jurisdiction in their proceedings against offenders. That's one of the founding documents of our whole country. Okay? See, they, this is not new. Everybody understood for thousands of years that if God's law applies to all of life, it applies to all of life. 
There's not a portion of it that it doesn't reign over. And it does reign over all people universally. If Jesus is the King of kings and Lord of lords, that means every ruler should rule in submission to him. His law is over all things. We also know that this was a major influence on Calvin whenever he was writing his institutes and the ways that he applied laws all the way down and the, and the ways that he actually would rework the governing systems of Geneva. Geneva was one of the first like new Christian towns that appeared after the Re- Reformation. And they basically went to John Calvin and said, hey, we don't know what we're doing. Can you be in charge? <laughs> Can you take over here? And so that's really what he did, is he tried to order it in a Christian town. Now, obviously, there are things, as Reformation continues to happen throughout human history, that people get wrong and screw up along the way, right? Because we're people. We're not an apostle. We're not directly inspired by God himself in the proper application of his law. But we're trying. Do you get it? And as human history progresses... It progresses how? Up and to the right. Now, that doesn't mean there's not little dips every now and then. There's always going to be little dips. There's always going to be little issues along the way. But the general principle is that we are getting better at this as we go. And some of you immediately think, I don't know, bro, the West right now is a dumpster fire. Okay, I, I agree with what you're saying. But how long has it been a dumpster fire? How long has the West been plunging into immorality and, and be defined as a dumpster fire? How many years would you say? Say it again, Kelly. About 60, 70 years. Right. I think that's fair. How long has human history been cooking? 6,000 years. How long was God silent between Malachi and Matthew? 400. You see what I'm saying? 60 years, that's nothing. We ha- that's, a, that's a little bloop. That's a little downtick in your chart. That's, that's not a big deal. And the, and the revival and the reformation that I'm seeing awaken across our country right now as a result of Satan overplaying his hand, because that's what he always does. Satan always overplays his hand. As a result of Satan overplaying his hand, the re- revival and reformation is waking up quite a large degree. I predict that by the time our grandchildren are around, this is going to be a great place to live. And we're all going to be, well, maybe not all of us, but a lot more of us than right now are going to be trusting and following the Lord because that's the way that the Lord works. There's lots of different references that I can give you this. Uh, you guys ever heard of the Canons of Dort? Man, I wish David or Aaron were here right now. Uh, the Canons of Dort. Okay, so I can't make any of my... Midwestern white boy jokes right now because they're not even in the room. And I had some prepared, and that makes me sad. So anyway, just know, David and Aaron, if you're listening to this recording, I have jokes for you. Um, They both went to a college called Dort College. It was founded on the Canons of Dort. The Canons of Dort are kind of like a slightly earlier version, I think earlier, of the Westminster Confession of Faith. And the Canons of Dort were direct applications of God's law to all of life fleshed out all the way. In fact, if you go read the Westminster Confession of Faith, you'll see lots of direct applications of God's law being played out all of life. Now, this is, this is interesting. Here's a, here's a quote from the Westminster Confession on marriage. This is the Westminster Confession of Faith, not the Canons of Dort. Okay, listen to this. Marriage 
ought not to be within the degree of consanuity or affinity forbidden in the word. In other words, don't do what the Bible says not to do. Okay? That's, a, that's, a, that's an express thing. Nor can such incestuous marriages, okay, they're talking about intermarrying here, like in, in blood, which is the reason that we don't do that is because the Bible says don't do that. Nor can such incestuous marriages ever be made lawful by any law of man. Did you hear what I just said? By any law of man or by any consent of parties. In other words, our society says what? You can do whatever you want to as long as you have consent. But the Westminster Confession that was written forever ago saw these problems coming and said, no, 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 no. It's God's law or nothing. Doesn't matter what you say and it doesn't matter what any law of man passes and says. It's God's law or nothing. You see, this was common knowledge for a long time in human history. It was common knowledge that all of God's law applied this way to all of life. Christians have believed that the law of God is for all of the world forever. The way that we play it out has changed. Okay? The way that we apply it has changed. And we, modern, modern Western Americans, because we have lost our rigor and our study and our dedication to the Word, have forgotten this in the last, like Kelly said, about 70 years. It's, we're like two generations removed from this, and we've just completely forgotten this principle. And it's because we're dumber. To, if, here we go. This is unrelated. I'm going off script. You ready? It's because we're dumber. It's because we have stopped forcing ourselves to try harder and instead have let, it, let our comfort be the gauge on whether or not we do something. Um, we should do things that are hard intentionally to challenge ourselves and push ourselves and don't let the expression, well, I guess, I guess that's just not for me. We need to get that out of our vocabulary, Okay. I'm not saying therefore do all things, but there's a reason that only four or 500 years ago, Renaissance men, masters of every skill existed, okay? They were poets, they were authors, they were musicians, they were engineers, they were artists, they were picket. They did all of it. There's a reason that the one-room schoolhouses with one teacher that taught 40 or 50 kids at the same time were memorizing and reciting Chaucer when they were seven years old. They could diagram sentences when they were younger. They knew all the grammar, underfunded, understaffed, with no educational theory. Why? Because they had resilience and rigor, and they knew that hard things had to be done. Okay? We're dumb because we've made ourselves that way. And until, (laughs) is that a t-shirt? We're dumb because we've made ourselves that way. Oh, yeah. No, that's, that's it. I'm telling you. We've lost it. We've lost it because of our comfort. And until we reinstate that and, and drive it into our hearts and into the hearts of our children, we're going to continue to be dumb. We've got to fight. All right. That was just for free. That's not even in my notes. Moving on. Do y'all have questions? Great. Then I think we got it. All right. Now, we talked about the different categories of commandments and statutes already. What's a statute? An application of a commandment. Commandment is the principle, right? Remember, think about the Ten Commandments as a filing system for the law of God. 
Okay? Commandments give us the principle. The statutes are the application of those principles. Another way to say statute is to say case law. Okay? Um, you ever heard somebody use that word when they were talking about the Old Testament laws? They're talking about the applications of, of case law or statutes. That's, that's what we're going for here. Now, statutes are like precedents that apply the commandments to specific areas of life. And so, therefore, that application changes. Now, as we talked about at the beginning of class, the big difference between us and Israel when the commandments were given was that Israel lived in the wilderness in tents and were nomads and shepherds and like first generation everything. And they had to figure out life from, from basically nothing. Um, but the, the Ten Commandments are still applicable. And because of that, that means the case laws, since they are applying the Ten Commandments, are also what? Still applicable. You don't, you don't get rid of those. The way that you apply them changes, okay? Because we live in different times. But do you all get what I'm saying here? So the, this is super important because some people, like, as soon as you start applying a case law differently, they're like, you're violating the law of God. And you're not. They're supposed to be applied differently. And I'm going to show you some instances where Paul and Jesus do it, okay? Where they apply a case law, a statute, in a different way because they're in a different time and they do it right because it's Paul and Jesus and they're divinely inspired. They're not us, okay? We're probably going to screw it up along the way, but that's okay. We're going to try as best we possibly can. Let's look at one of them. Deuteronomy 25, verse 4. Somebody pull 1 Corinthians up, 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Somebody grab that for me while I read Deuteronomy 25, verse 4. Y'all all know this verse. Deuteronomy chapter 25, verse 4. You shall not muzzle an ox while it is treading out the grain. Okay, that's not a commandment. That's a statute. That's a case law. That's an application of a commandment. And now 1 Corinthians 9, starting in verse 3. Who's got that? Raise your hand. Buddy, go ahead. 1 Corinthians 9, starting in verse 3, is Paul's application of this case law to a different scenario. Buddy, start reading. This is my defense to those who would examine me. Do we not have the right to eat the grape? Do we not have the right to take along with the leaving wife, as do the other apostles and brothers of the Lord and Jesus? Or is it only Barnabas and I who have no right to refrain from working for a living? Who serves as a soldier at his own expense? Who plants a vineyard without eating any of its fruit? Or who tends a flock without getting some of the milk? Do I say these things on human authority? Does not the law say the same? For it is written in the law of Moses, You shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain. It is, is it for the oxen that God is concerned? Does he not certainly speak for our sake? It is written for our sake, because the plowman should plow in hope, and the thresher should thresh in the hope of sharing in the crop. There you go. So what's Paul saying? Paul's saying the principle that we receive from not... Okay, so let me translate muzzling an ox while it's treading out the grain. What, what they're saying is, don't cover the ox's mouth while it's working for the food you're going to eat. Okay? Don't keep the ox from enjoying some of the food along the way as he's walking while he's harvesting for you. Do y'all see the principle here? And so Paul takes that statute and he says, therefore, y'all should give me some money. <laughs> That's what he does. That, and he's Paul and divinely inspired. So we recognize that he's applying it properly, properly because he's an apostle. 
Do y'all see what I'm saying here? We have a statute, a case law that Paul translates into his current environment that day. Paul's not a farm animal. The gospel isn't seed. Corinth isn't a, a nomadic tent community, but all those principles go in and are applied to this particular piece. The problem that we run into today is because we're in this recovering dispensational culture, we don't believe that the Old Testament applies to us at all anymore. And so we've forgotten it. We've left it. And we've only read the New Testament. And then if you continue on that trajectory, eventually you're going to become like Andy Stanley, who doesn't even really believe the Bible at all anymore. Because he threw away the Old Testament. And since there's no Old Testament, the New Testament doesn't really matter. So we don't really need to proclaim repentance. We just need to talk to people about Jesus. And I'm like, where do you get Jesus info from? The Bible all the Bible talks about Jesus. It's such a weird, anyway, whatever. Do I have enough time? I do. Okay, great. Let's do another one. Um, now, Pastor Stewart, are you saying that we should apply all the case laws, all the statutes to all of the world right now? No, because case laws are applied progressively over time. How do we know that? Because whenever God gave the statutes and the case laws to Israel, where were they? They were in the wilderness. And they lived in what? Tents. Then why did God give them statutes and case laws about putting fences around your roof? Because they lived in tents. They didn't have roofs yet. Because God was giving them laws that they were going to apply progressively over time. Why did God give them laws about what to do if mildew and mold started growing in your house? They didn't have houses. They lived in tents. You see what I'm saying? But God told them exactly what to do. But why did God, when they lived in tents in a pile, nomads in the wilderness, wandering from place to place as one big clump, why did God give them case laws about murder and manslaughter and establishing cities of refuge for somebody to flee to while they were waiting for their trial to happen. Why did God do that? They didn't have cities. They lived in tents. You see what I'm saying? Because we need to understand that case laws, statutes are applied progressively over time. Do you see what I'm saying? We don't, it doesn't start now. We don't say, the Bible says it, boom, we're going to do all of this right now. No, 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 no. We, we, what we want is there to be a trajectory over time. The, the abolitionist only position would say, no, we have to do all of this right now, and doing it right now is the only acceptable solution. No, I don't think so, buddy. Trajectory over time, okay? Trajectory over time. We all want the same thing. When I'm referencing abolitionists, I'm referencing the abortion movement. Do y'all know that? Have y'all heard this conversation before? There are some abolitionists who call themselves abolitionists that want everything solved right now, and anything short of fully solving the problem right now is not even worth pursuing. Uh, I don't think so. I think trajectory over time is perfectly fine. Although if we have an opportunity to solve every problem right now, tomorrow, let's do it. I'm not opposed. Let's go. But we can't act, I think, in negligence of this particular principle. It's progressive. We're trying to build something multi-generational. Now, remember? Multi-generational over time. Here's an illustration for you. Is government health care evil? 
Yes. Why? Because it's based on what? Does anybody know? It's based on theft. That's right. You're, you're stealing assets from someone else with a gun, because that's what, that's what taxation ultimately is. And unjust taxation is taking somebody else's assets with the threat of gun, with the threat of repercussions if they don't pay. That's stealing to pay other people's bills. Government-funded health care is, uh, in and of itself, an evil principle. Okay? Do you get it? But does that mean, and listen, we are an economically diverse church, and there's a lot of people in this room that are on government-based health care, and my family was too for a long time, long time, okay? Does that mean that all of us have to repent right away and get off of this and move? I don't think so. But progress over time dictates what? That eventually you would, right? Eventually you would. You'd make that jump. Are y'all following with me here? This is, this is a principle of progressive, not progressive, <laughs> actual progress, application of God's law to his people. We know that we live in such a time as this. I've, I've heard a pastor explain it really well. He's like, we all know what the ideal is. What we're fighting to do our whole lives is bring the ideal and the real into alignment. Okay? We're all doing that all the time. Does that make sense, you guys? Do you all have questions about that? The same thing is true stealing for education's sake. That's evil. Government-funded education, as we have very clearly learned in the last four years since they have tried to basically take children from their parents and remove all forms of parental rights over their kids inside of government-funded indoctrination camps, as we very clearly learned, that's evil. Does that mean that we close every single school tomorrow and just burn everything down? I don't think so. Maybe some of them. <laughs> Probably some of them. But not every single one. Because we're not ready for that yet. Could you imagine that? All right, church, fine. You wanted it this way? It's your turn. Man up. We're not ready. But one day, hopefully, our grandchildren will have fully formed, fleshed out, built out Christian educational institutions like Chalmers did for Glasgow. And hopefully one day our grandchildren will have fully funded, fully fleshed out and formed Christian hospitals like only ever existed throughout the world. Hopefully, buddy. I know. Jesus, please get us out of here. <laughs> I've been praying for that. I've been praying for that. Oh my goodness. But see, you see what I'm saying? Progress over time. Progress over time. That's what we're ultimately going for here. All right, I'm so late and out of time, but you can tell this is going to be a ton of fun. We'll talk some more about this next time. Do you all have any more questions before we kind of wrap this up real quick? All right, let's pray. Jesus, thank you that you teach us and instruct us according to your words and your law. I pray that we would follow it well, that we would trust you all of our days, and that you would help us to be obedient and submissive to it. Lord, you're good. Your mercies endure us forever. And help us, help us to understand and trust you. In Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. See you all in about 10 minutes.